and welcome to the development podcast from the World Bank Group, coming to you from Washington, D.C. and beyond. I'm Raka Banerjee. And I'm Srimati Sridhar. In this episode, we hone in on one of the biggest issues facing women worldwide, unpaid care work. Women still do a disproportionate amount of work caring for children and others. So what impact does this have on their economic prospects and how can they be supported? We get the view from India. They were at peace going to work every day. Their productivity was increased and their income was increased. We also hear from Vietnam about the challenges of tackling cultural norms. Prejudice about the unpaid care work is changing. Men taking care more of their housework and stay with their women more. And from the World Bank Group here in Washington, D.C., about how the pandemic brought to the forefront this age-old issue. I think the hope is that we've seen this very starkly. Uh, That is what COVID revealed, and now we can do something about it. That's all coming up here on The Development Podcast. What can you share with us in terms of some recent data about women's lives and livelihoods? Well, the World Bank just released its annual report on women, business, and the law, which looks at women's economic participation. The report is based around the idea that ending gender inequality is essential for ending extreme poverty. Yeah, that seems like a pretty reasonable promise to me. So how does the report evaluate women's participation in the economy? Great question. Well, the report looks at eight areas of laws and regulations. So it's looking at those that are governing mobility, workplace, pay, marriage, parented, entrepreneurship, assets, and pension. Okay, well, that seems like a pretty comprehensive overview of well-being. So what were the major findings from this year's report? Each year, the report looks at the pace of reforms around the world across 190 economies. And unfortunately, with the most recent data, which is for 2022, they found that the global pace of reforms is the slowest that it's been in 20 years. In fact, at the current pace of reforms, they're calculating that it would take until 2073 to get to gender equality globally. Oh, that's so disheartening to hear. You know, in the first decade of the century, there were actually a lot of gains in women's legal rights. For example, between 2000 and 2009, there were more than 600 reforms introduced to increase gender equality. Oh, wow. Yeah. So from 73 reforms in 2008 alone to just 34 reforms in 2022, it's not looking like there's a lot of positive momentum right now towards gender equality, at least on the legal side. Women only have 77% of the legal rights that men do. And so in terms of countries that have already enshrined gender equality, it's just a small fraction. It's 14 out of the 190 economies covered in the report. And those are all high-income OECD countries. I'm wondering also, how do the different categories look then in terms of women's legal rights? Yeah, so pay and parented are the two lowest scoring categories. The global average score for pay is 70, and for parenthood, it's 56.4. And out of curiosity, what goes into the parenthood score? So they they basically ask um, five questions. Um, is paid leave of at least 14 weeks available to mothers? Does the government pay 100% of maternity leave benefits? Is paid leave available to fathers? Is there paid parental leave? And is dismissal of pregnant workers prohibited? Well, that makes a lot of sense. And the paternity leave question strikes me in particular. 
As we're looking at women's care work in this episode, it seems like both maternity leave and paternity leave are super important, right? The maternity leave, obviously, to ensure that women's care work for their children is paid, but also paternity leave so that care work is not all left to women. Yeah, for sure. And in fact, the team has found that as the gap shrinks between the number of paid leave days that are accorded to men and women, women's labor force participation increases. Oh, amazing. Well, thanks so much for sharing this information with us, Raka. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks. Let's now head to India. India has tens of millions of women working in the informal sector, many earning a daily wage. These women do all kinds of jobs vital to the Indian economy. They could be street vendors, salt miners, working in agriculture, and childcare is a huge issue. To understand a bit more about the struggles for women in the informal sector, let's hear from our producer, Sarah Trainer. A busy roadside in an urban center in India. It's a hub of commercial activity. So my name is Jyoti Mekwan and originally I come from a tobacco agriculture worker family from Anand district of Gujarat state and I am now talking from Ahmedabad. Since from that very trade I have been elected to be the general secretary of SEWA. SEWA represents and campaigns for the rights of millions of Indian women who work in the informal sector. I asked Joyti to explain a little bit about her experiences of the caring responsibilities shouldered by women while she was growing up. My mother was working from around 8 o'clock in the morning and uh, then she would come home back by 6. I was elder in the house and we are seven brothers and sisters. So I think it was very difficult for my mother. Uh, I had to take care of the younger ones and then go to work and go to studies. And the life of a tobacco worker, as well as for other women in the informal sector, is often not an easy one. There are multiple health hazards to contend with, which can also risk the welfare of children. Maybe the mother sometimes uh, have to take the children at the workplaces. If she has to earn and make the livelihood or uh, would like to earn that daily wage for cooking food for the family, she has to go to work. So I think they were carrying children to the workplaces and sometimes it was not very well accepted by the employers. And for us, actually, for the tobacco agriculture worker, I would say it was very hazardous because when the mother takes the children to the workplaces, the children are always playing around the tobacco plants and also in the smaller factory where the tobacco processing was happening. So I think they would cover full of tobacco dust. Same for the street vendors. How, how do they carry their children to their workplaces? The street vendors have to go early in the morning, 6 o'clock in the morning, to sell the vegetables. Sometimes they just have to lock them in the houses, lock the uh, door, and they only open while they come back from the workplaces. So while they do that, they were always, they, they were not at peace because they, they were always worrying of the children who were at home and they were at workplaces. So how has Sewa helped improve the situation for the tobacco workers and for others? One project is for childcare centres in rural and urban areas, like this one you can hear in a tobacco-growing village. So the childcare centres were started in the villages 
and that's how they were able to go regularly to their workplaces. We saw the increase in income because now they were at peace going to work every day. Their productivity was increased and their income was increased. And also, you know, now the elder children were able to go to school because they don't have to take care of the younger one. Joyti says that for women and for their children to have better opportunities, that there needs to be a change in attitude when it comes to care work. The recognition of this work is very important and it should not remain unpaid because they also need equally paid for the work what they are doing. I myself have to consider myself as a worker. I, I should know that I am contributing to my family and to my society and also to the economy of my country. So I think that is very important. Thanks so much to Jyoti and Sarah. It's really uplifting to hear those sounds of children in the villages. It really is, Raka. But this is not by any means an India-specific problem. Let's now head to Vietnam, where Katie, from the charity CARE, has been involved in running several programs to tackle both practical solutions and prejudice when it comes to sharing the CARE workload. It is the burden for the women in the minority ethnic areas. They cannot look for a better job. They cannot spend enough time and effort on paperwork and they they are not recognized. They are under a lot of uh, pressures. So how has CARE been working to better the prospects for women in these rural areas? Two things are helping provide better childcare and also providing access to mechanical farming equipment, which cuts down the time spent in fields. And also the other side of the intervention is working on the awareness of local people over there to to make them recognize the values of the unpaid care work, the values of sharing, and how they can work together within fa- their family to make it less a burden mm-hmm. for the woman. The um, prejudice about the unpaid care work is changing. Men right. taking care more of their housework and share with their women more. They are they are responding to the to the core of uh, the whole project. Though it takes a lot more time to work on the the awareness, but we must do that because it is more more and more effective, more sustainable. I myself see the prejudice coming from from families is there'll always be grandparents like grandfather who who believe in their heart. The, The housework is the woman's task, but still, when the, the prejudice um, exist, we must do something about that. Thanks so much to Katie speaking to us from Vietnam. We've really got some interesting stories and perspectives. We have, and it's a picture which is clearly pretty mixed, right? There's still a long way to go. Well, to tie it all together for us and give us some context to all of this, we spoke to Laura Rawlings. She's a lead economist in the World Bank's gender group, and she joined us here in the studio in Washington, D.C. It's great to have you. Thanks. It's really nice to be here. You are the lead economist for the World Bank's gender group. Why do you think addressing unpaid care is so critical when we talk about gender inequality? Well, I think we have to take a look at the trajectory of Uh, women's progress. And we can even look back over a series of decades. And what we can see is that the world has made very 
important and hard-won progress in advancing human endowments for women and girls. Um, and I think we've particularly seen this in closing gaps globally in uh, girls' primary and secondary education. So we look at that progress, and then we look at what happens after those gaps are closed. And here, we see that this progress has not translated into parallel gains in employment and in access to jobs. And in fact, labor force participation globally is around 50% for women versus 80% for men. And these gaps are particularly large in certain regions. For example, in the Middle East and North Africa or in South Asia, only two out of 10 women of working age participate in the labor force um, versus eight out of every 10 men. So that shows that there is um, there's a problem. And a lot of the disproportionate distribution of unpaid work and lack of access to affordable quality care is one of the key constraints that we see in holding women back and in impacting female labor force participation. Do countries just simply need to step in and get involved more, or is there more at stake here? I think there's a lot more at stake. And we like to outline that there are really four dimensions of caregiving, which are critical. Um, Availability, so as you're saying, helping to provide more care, Mm -hmm. but also access to care is really important. The quality of care is critical. And uh, affordability, of course, which has to do with access. So you need to look at, at all four of those dimensions. And we also need to look beyond the public sector. So states are absolutely important in helping to tackle unpaid care, but uh, the private sector also has a key role to play as employers, as innovators, and, and as investors. And within the private sector, Employers have a responsibility to respect the rights of working parents, safeguarding the health of expectant and nursing mothers. And there's a lot that the private sector can do to support uh, access to quality and affordable care. And we we know about this with on-site facilities, uh, child care subsidies, family-friendly workplaces, things like that. Another dimension I'd like to mention uh, beyond provision is the legal and regulatory environment around care. Um, this is very important. And in fact, it's a, it's a key metric in our women business and the law work um, that we use. Uh, but that, that regulatory environment is, is also critical. And that will apply, obviously, to public sector provision, but also to private sector provision. Where do we stand around the world on this issue and the issue of unpaid care? And also, if I can add to that, what impact did the pandemic have? Well, the pandemic was the great revealer. It was not only with the, the, the health impact, the labor market impact, but that crisis very much exacerbated care responsibilities and particularly women's care responsibilities. So we saw it. Uh, very starkly through uh, the impact of school closures and child care centers. Um, this fell much more heavily on working mothers than fathers. Uh, we also saw that uh, care was a factor in, uh, in what we've observed, that there were higher business closures for female business owners 
uh, with children than for men with children. And according to the International Labor Organization, about 2 million mothers left the labor market as a result wow. of the of the COVID-19 pandemic. So uh, so COVID really was the the big revealer about um, about the importance of care and making sure that that we have a robust care economy so that parents in particular have a choice about what they do. Uh, and in, in terms of the pandemic, uh, it's really interesting what you say about it being the big revealer. It makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm wondering if there's any positive aspect of it in that, you know, it brought all these issues to light. Um, you know, do you think it could lead to more positive change now that we've seen how how dire the issue is? Absolutely. I think that's the hope. We've we've seen how important these issues are and we care about care. Right. right. <laughs> these are these are our loved ones. They're our children. It's uh, it's the the family members that, that that one cares about. So, I think the hope is that we've seen this very starkly. Uh, that is what COVID revealed, and now we can do something about it. And we can talk about that too, because there's a lot going on in terms of what we're doing in the World Bank Group to highlight and advance these issues. Um, and we've seen a lot of responses also from uh, client governments and the private sector and others because COVID was a wake-up call. Addressing gender inequality and women's empowerment is integral to development solutions. Um, these are important goals in their own right, but they are also uh, essential elements to responding to these mounting challenges that we see now posed by a whole series of crises. And no country, no community, no economy can achieve its full potential or meet these challenges without the full and equal participation of all members in its society. And if we look at some of the data and some of the estimates, um, here in the World Bank, some work by Stephen Pennings shows that uh, if women's employment were to be increased to the same level as men's, GDP per capita would be almost 20% higher. So um, this isn't just the right thing to do, it's the smart thing to do, Makes particularly in, exactly in the face of, of a lot of the challenges that, that our client countries are facing. I think what's exciting is that the the future is in our hands. Gender equality is so important to achieving the development outcomes uh, that we want uh, that we have to pay attention to it. And it's also important to continue to make progress in this area. Progress has slowed, um, and we need to regain we need to regain momentum. And I think the last point that I would make is that gender equality and empowerment isn't just about women. Men not only need to be involved in this, but they are also affected by this. In fact, we see reverse gender gaps emerging in certain areas, for example, in higher education, in terms of attainment, in terms of uh, young men's participation uh, in higher education. So we we need to look at gender in a comprehensive way and that it's not only the right thing to do, it's the smart thing to do. Awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. That was fascinating and so interesting about the role of men. Yeah, completely. You know, I really hope that some of the challenges brought to light by the pandemic will continue to get the attention they deserve. 
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Development Podcast from the World Bank Group. I'm Srimathi Sridhar. And I'm Rocket Banerjee. Please get in touch with thoughts, comments, suggestions. We are at the Development Podcast at WorldBank.org. And we'll be back next month with a special edition giving you the highlights from our spring meetings. Join us then.